0: Coming up on this special third preseason episode of Please Bear With Me, former Baylor punter Derek Epperson, Bruiser the Bear, and Cam or RG3, Please Bear With Me starts right now. What's up Baylor Bears? Welcome into Please Bear With Me. Yes, I worked double time this weekend pumping out two episodes of your go-to Baylor Football podcast. My name is Scotty Swingler. So stoked that you're listening in with us. Couple of housekeeping things right up at the front. On Friday, we will launch Please Bear With Me the show. It will be live on Periscope and Facebook Live. I'm just going to be talking for maybe 15 or 20 minutes. This isn't a big deal, but it's just a way for me to preview the upcoming game the night before, talk about some things, take some of your questions if you have them, and if you'd like to jump in on that, make sure to turn on your notifications for Periscope and or Facebook Live from Please Bear With Me. I plan to do that around 9.30 p.m. this week. Friday is my birthday, (laughs) so... I'm actually going to be out at dinner and dessert with family and friends, and so I am hopeful that by 9.30 I can be back and broadcasting to you. But if not, just be patient. We will do the first episode of Please Bear With Me, the live show, on Friday. And we will preview ACU. We will talk about a couple of other things that I promised some Twitter followers we would talk about. So make sure you check that out. Late on Friday evening. Most of you voted that late on Friday evenings would be better than early mornings or lunchtime. And so that's what we're going with. Late on Friday evening. Please bear with me. The show cannot wait. Another little piece of housekeeping real quick. If you have not subscribed or followed, please do it. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcast and Google Play. Follow us on Twitter at Bear underscore podcast or Facebook at Please Bear With Me. Share the podcast with your friends. If you enjoy it, somebody else might as well. And so we would love to have more listeners, and we'd love to have more of your feedback. So feel free to contact us via that Twitter account or that Facebook and let us know your thoughts, and I will interact with you on the show. It's not a problem. In fact, I love it. So hit us up, follow us, give us some feedback. Thank you. We love Baylor Nation, and I am so thankful to be talking to you every week this fall. Coming up later in the show, I've got a brand new segment that I think you're really going to enjoy. We've never done anything like what we're about to do on this episode, so I'm going to keep that a little bit of a secret. After that, I've got Derek Epperson, former Baylor, three-time All-Big 12 punter. Derek was here between the Guy Morris and Art Briles era, so he was part of that transition from a dumpster fire team to a good football team. He followed the great Daniel Sepulveda at Baylor as a punter, and so he just has a lot of great stories, has a lot of insight, and we talked about his career, and it was a really good conversation, so I think you'll really enjoy that if you stick around till the end of the episode. But first, I'm going to take you into a little bit of a friendly debate. You know, when I started this podcast, I said it was all about the friendly banter that comes along with football, and this is one of those times. Michael Bartlemay, who has been on this show many times, he's a good friend of mine from college, he and I recently got into it. We were ranking all-time college dual-threat quarterbacks. And all of that is important. All-time dual-threats, and we'll talk about what that means in just a second, and college quarterbacks. So don't consider NFL career or accomplishments. Don't consider high school. Don't consider, you know, it. it very much is what it is all-time dual threat college quarterbacks. And as we were ranking, I think we both put Michael Vick number one or number two. We both had Vince Young up there. We both had Tim Tebow up there. And then we had RG3 and Cam Newton flipped on our list. I had RG3 higher, and he had Cam Newton higher. Now, don't roast him because we're all Baylor fans here, okay? He really believes Cam Newton was a better college dual threat quarterback than RG3. But we decided that we were going to take this debate to the podcast. And so what you're going to hear today is our opening arguments. So I have not listened to what you're about to hear from Michael Bartleman. This is his opening argument that Cam Newton was a better dual threat college quarterback than RG3. And then I will give my opening argument that I am recording without having heard his opening argument. So you see what we're doing here. I don't want to argue with him just yet. He's not arguing with me just yet. He is giving you his opening argument. I am giving you my opening argument. And then next week, I will have him on with me to go back and forth and debate it. So what I want you to do this week is hit us up on Twitter at Bear Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Scotty Ross Swing or him on Twitter at BMA93. Hit us up, tell us what you think, get in on this debate with us. You are welcome to give us your thoughts, RG3 or Cam Newton, and we will bring it to a close with a debate next week. Before we dive into these opening arguments, let's talk about what dual threat means. Dual threat means exactly what you think it means. It means both passing and rushing the football. And for the sake of this argument, both Bartlemay and I are considering passing and rushing as as equals essentially like in order to be a dual threat quarterback you have to be great at running the football and you have to be great at throwing the football there you know there's no well this guy ran really well but didn't throw very well that's kind of what we figured about pat white if you go look at Pat white's stats from when he was at West Virginia everybody remembers Pat White as this great dual threat quarterback but really his passing numbers were not good his rushing numbers were great I would not consider him a dual threat quarterback he was a rushing quarterback. Then there's a guy like Baker Mayfield, who I had brought up on my dual threat list, and we looked at his rushing numbers and realized his rushing numbers weren't great. He was a really, really good passer in college. He was not a great rusher in college. He was a good scrambler, a good evader of pressure, but he was not a great rusher. And so for dual threat quarterbacks, we're looking at both the ability to run the football for yardage and touchdowns and to you know get first downs with your feet as well as the ability to throw the football and play the quarterback position more conventionally using your arm. And so that is what we're looking at when we say dual threat. Here are opening arguments. Again, we did not hear the others' opening argument when we recorded this. So this is just our thoughts. He's going for Cam. I said RG3. We'll start with the arguments for
1: Cam Newton. So Scotty challenged me to a quick debate about Cam Newton versus Robert Griffin III, and I'm just going to compare their Heisman seasons. That's all I'm going to do, and we can talk about it from there. So, first thing that I would like to say is I love Robert Griffin III. He's great. So, moving on. I think Cam Newton was better in his Heisman season than Robert was. He threw for almost as many yards per attempt. The difference between their quarterback ratings was negligible. Sure, Robert threw for more yards and more touchdowns. But you also have to keep in mind that Cam was playing in a Gus Malzahn offense, which particularly at that period of time was not an offense that was built to stretch the field vertically as much, in particular wasn't really even built to throw the ball that much. It was built on the option run game, um, much more than Baylor's was. And although Baylor's offense was clearly predicated on the run, it was built in a way that was focused on setting up the run for the pass, whereas Gus Malzahn used a lot of misdirection to drive the running game. So then you move over to their passing yards, or to their rushing yards, And Cam was a more effective runner. He averaged a yard and a half more per attempt than Robert did. He ran the ball more, which is why I'm not going to bring up the yards and touchdowns. But when you look at his efficiency, his efficiency was higher. Furthermore, Cam Newton played against much more difficult defenses than Robert did. That's a fact. The dude played extremely well against LSU and Alabama in 2010, that Alabama defense was stout. There's not a single team in the Big 12 from the 2011 season that compared to that Alabama defense. That's just pure fact. Because of those reasons, and on top of the fact that Cam won a national championship, which I think you can attribute to the fact that he actually had a defense, whereas Robert had none. I think Cam's, Cam was a better quarterback his Heisman season than Robert Griffin was. still love Robert Griffin. Please don't hate me, Baylor Nation.
0: Let me talk about Robert Griffin III, especially as he compares to Cam Newton. For one thing, I want to start this argument by saying this, is when you consider who the better collegiate quarterback is, I think you have to look at their careers over one specific season. And so nothing against Cam Newton, but he had one great year. And it was a monumental year. He won a Heisman Trophy that he absolutely deserved. He was the first overall pick in the following NFL draft. But RG3 had a far superior year. When you look at what he did as a true freshman at Baylor, when you look at what he did his redshirt sophomore year, coming off an injury, throwing for 3,500 yards, coming off injury, and then obviously his Heisman season as well, to string together three seasons of excellent football as opposed to one season, to me, gives RG3 an upper hand. And then the other reason I'm going to say RG3 had a better college career than Cam Newton is simply the passing numbers. If you look at the way they threw the football, RG3, his Heisman season, completed 72.4% of his throws. Cam Newton completed 66 of his, which is still good, but not as good. And if you look at the throws themselves, RG3 throws for 4,293 yards. Cam Newton threw for 2,850 4 yards. And so to me RG3 was the vastly superior passer. He's far more accurate of a thrower. And then the final reason I would say RG3 has an upper hand on Cam in terms of college quarterback rankings is this. Look at the way they run the football. Okay? Like we we can look at the numbers and say, "Okay, Cam Newton ran for more yards, more touchdowns, and he did." And that's fine. But let's be honest, which one of them is a better rusher of the football cam newton had an sec offensive line and he's built like a tank and he puts his head down and he mows people over and good on him that's great he would have played left tackle 30 years ago rg3 is arguably the most dynamic rusher of the football from the quarterback position ever and if he's number two it's only behind michael vick RG3 is far more elusive. He's faster. He's quicker. He still has a record, I think, as far as quarterbacks go at the combine with the four-four-two forty, which he said was slow for him. See, so it's 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 comparing apples and oranges when it comes to them running the football. Cam's going to mow it up the middle. RG3 is going to go outside and juke people out of their socks. And so, you know, depends on the style of football you play. But to me. They're both equally good at running the football, and I like RG3's style better. So better career, better passing numbers in their Heisman seasons, and a more dynamic rusher of the football when it comes to RG3. That is why RG3 was a better dual-threat college quarterback than Cam Newton. So there you have it. That is our opening arguments for Cam Newton versus RG3. I hope you'll tune in next week as we debate head-to-head And take this conversation to the next level. And again, if you want to get in on this debate, you are free to tweet at the podcast or at either of us. And we cannot wait to keep this conversation going next week. But for right now, I have a new segment for you. And it's probably a a once-in-a-lifetime segment. This guy contacted me, and I had to have him do this for you. So I'm not going to explain to you what it is. I'm just going to let you listen and enjoy.
2: Everyone loves a great mascot. It's funny how one can easily pick out a bad mascot from a good one. They bring energy, excitement, and fun to a stadium atmosphere. But you know, being a mascot isn't just fun and games. It's hard work, it's blood, sweat, tears, and more sweat. And in the end, you're just anonymous. Hi, I'm Don Kirsting, and I spent two years at Baylor from 1996 to 1998 as the last Bob the Bear mascot and the very first ever Bruiser mascot. During those two years, I had a ton of great memories and want to think of some really interesting stories. Through it all, I learned what it takes to be a mascot in the Big 12. So you may be asking yourself, what are the top 10 things you didn't know about being a Baylor mascot? Well, I'll tell you.
0: Please bear with me's top 10 things you didn't know about being a mascot. Number
2: 10. Yes, it's hot, and yes, it stinks. It was 1997. We were playing our opening home game against the University of Miami, and it is 103 degrees on the field. And that's before uh, you add what amounts to a full-length parka an air-restricting helmet. It was the hottest I've ever been, and there's not even a close second. Even indoor events, when you're a mascot, you sweat a lot. It doesn't matter. Plus, you need constant breaks and constant water. There are many times in, during the football games where I'd work only 10, 15 minutes at a, at a time, and then have to go back under the tunnel to take a break. And in fact, you'll now notice how they have multiple mascots, and that's because trying to be a mascot... In August or September, Texas heat, you need more than one. And in regards to the actual costume, yeah, it stinks. And there's no amount of Febreze, no amount of Tide that can get that smell out. You just kind of have to deal with it. Number nine, some teams, fans, are just the worst. Hey, but some are great, some are not. But, for example, the great ones include Nebraska, wonderful fans. They would applaud as you left the stadium after you get your butt kicked. But there are also some fans that were just not great. Lubbock and Austin in particular. Because you're basically a physical representation of of the school that they hate, and some fans just can't handle it. I've had every four-letter word yelled at me. I've had multiple things thrown at me. In fact, I was walking once to the field in Lubbock and had a full can of soda thrown at my head. True story. Number 8. Mascot costumes are not made for durability. So back in the mid-1990s when I was the mascot, we just had to find someone who made costumes. We didn't have a vendor like they do now who produces these very slick really well uh, manufactured mascot costumes like they have today. We literally had a woman outside of a, a small town outside Waco who made the costume at her house. The head was basically paper mache. In fact We couldn't be a mascot when it was raining because the head would basically melt. And that wasn't just my costume, but the other costumes uh, of the opposing teams that we battled were also of low quality. I remember distinctly in 1996, we were playing Oregon State. And as you commonly see, sometimes mascots will kind of fake spar on the sidelines. Well, I was kind of fake sparring with the Oregon State Beaver who had this perpetual grinny smile on his face. I remember grabbing both of his ears during the fake spar and when I pulled back I was still holding one of his ears. He looked back at me with that fake smile and he just forcefully grabbed the ear out of of my hand and walked away. Number seven. Refs don't want any part of your act. So you need to know that refs don't like to be joked around with at all. It doesn't matter if it's before the game, during the game, or after the game. They just don't like any funny business. I one time kicked a ref in a joking way during a men's basketball game, and that ref gave me one of those those glares that says, don't do that again, I'm not joking. Shortly after that, our Bayless Spirit Squad sponsor told the refs um, that we were joking, but they didn't care, and that if it happened again, I would be kicked out. Number six, falling is expected. During the 1996 Welcome Week Pep Rally at Floyd Casey Stadium, there was a timed routine with the cheerleaders and band, um, and I was supposed to stand on top of a massive pyramid, lead the freshman class in a siccum bears, and then fall backward into the arms of some other cheerleaders. We had practiced it for two weeks, and on the day of the Welcome Week Pep Rally, I was filled with nerves. It was my very first pep rally. And as I went up, I leaned forward too far, and I promptly caused the entire pyramid to fall to the ground. I landed on my knee, and I had to fight through massive amounts of pain. And I still think a friend of mine has that video. Number five, no, you can't keep it. This is the most frequent question I get. And it has to do with can I keep the mascot uniform following graduation? And the answer is no. Even 20 years later, I still get asked if I have the costume in my attic somewhere. And no, it's not behind some sort of glass either. I always tell people it's the property of the university. Number four, you can't be afraid to learn new things. I didn't have experience, but you must, uh, I didn't have experience being a mascot, but you must uh, learn quickly things like crowd interaction techniques and basic cheerleading skills. I remember during my time, I even learned how to do a standing backflip. But the biggest skill that I learned was repelling. During both of the uh, basketball seasons, men's and win- women's seasons of 96 through 98, I would get to the feral Center early. Hour and a half, two hours early, in fact. I would get dressed in the full mascot costume, and I would put on repelling gear. They would lower the center jumbotron down to the floor, and I would climb up into the jumbotron. They would raise it back up, and there I would quietly sit. The Feral Center would fill up, and following the National Anthem, they would play the Mission Impossible sound, the bum, 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 And I knew that was my cue. I dropped a line from the jumbotron, and I slowly descended down the rope to the floor. One time, I actually got stuck. My, the fur from my costume got stuck in the rope, And my biggest fear was dangling during the entire basketball game from the jumbotron Tron like some sort of puppet. It took one of those really massive acts of strength that I just don't know I even had in me to pull the fur from the repelling gear and make my way down. Looking back, I'm not sure that this was the safest way to make an entrance. Number three, opposing coaches can be really cool. I never had a bad interaction with a coach. One great interaction I remember was during a men's basketball game against Texas. I dealt with Tom Penders, the great coach of the Texas Longhorns at the time. And as I was getting dressed for the rappelling, as I just mentioned, I saw him walking out of the tunnel. He was about to walk out. He stopped, turned around, and took a double glance at me. And he came walking over. He put his hand on my shoulder and looked at me and my rappelling gear and said, Son, what the hell are you doing? And I said, well, I'm repelling from the Jumbotron, coach. And he just smiled and said, Well, don't hurt yourself. And he just walked off. Number two. Opposing players want none of your shenanigans. It was 1997, and Baylor was at home playing Texas Tech. During player warm-ups, I may have possibly, perhaps purposefully, got in the way of Texas Tech QB Zebby Lethridge. He didn't take too kindly to it and either purposefully or by accident took his hand and swung it towards my bare head. It was a direct hit to the snout, and my head damn near spun 360 degrees. The Baylor line saw all of it and immediately reacted, cascading boos down in Zebby's direction. I honestly was stunned and didn't know how to react, and I think I just made my way back to the tunnel. In all honesty, it was my fault. Here's a football player, the starting QB, trying to prepare for a real game. He didn't mean my tomfoolery, but it does make for a great story. And number one, Sikkim's never get old. I had the honor to lead so many Sikkim Bear cheers for two years, and I never grew tired of them. It may have been a room full of five people or a stadium with thousands. It didn't really matter. It just made me love my school even more. And there you have it. The 10 things you didn't know about being a Baylor mascot. For Please Bear With Me, I'm Don Kirsting.
0: Sikkim Bears. I want to say an extra big thank you to Don Kirsting for reaching out to me and telling me some of those stories. And I said, dude, could you record a segment for the podcast? And he was all about it. So major props to that guy. Don, you crushed it. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on. Please bear with me. Now we're going to move into my interview with former All Big 12 punter, Baylor Bear, Derek Epperson and I interviewed Derek over the phone, and so there's some normal things you expect when you interview someone over the phone. He cuts out maybe two or three times in the whole thing. But also, for whatever reason, when I was recording this interview with Derek, my recording equipment was acting funny and kept turning itself on and off. So when I ask Derek questions, you're going to hear some of it come in over my microphone and some of it come in over the phone call. So I apologize for that technical inconvenience, but it's just one of those things. And so I think you'll still love this interview, and I hope you enjoy it. Okay, man, I think we're good. So let me start by just asking you uh, what you're up to these days, where where life has taken you.
3: So I work as a technology consultant these days. Currently, I'm based out of Tampa, Florida, but I recently got engaged, so I'll be relocating to D.C. here in the near future. But um, yeah, ever since I got out of grad school, I've just uh, been working in technology and loved it so far so um yeah life's been good can't complain well congratulation on the
0: engagement man that's awesome uh where did you go to grad school did you do that as at baylor as
3: well yeah so i actually i graduated in three years and so i actually started my MBA my senior year while i was still playing and then after my stint with the cardinals i actually came back to school and finished that so yeah i went to got two degrees from baylor
0: that's awesome, man. Speaking of the Cardinals, that was actually one of the questions I was gonna ask you, so I'll go ahead and get into it. You you went to camp and, and did all of that. Uh what are some of these NFL players going through right now, man, that that they're just trying to they're just trying to prove themselves and make a roster spot. What is that experience like?
3: It's awesome. You know, personally I was a soccer player growing up, so I never Really had any dreams or aspirations of playing in the NFL. Football was always a means to an end. Uh, full scholarships are a lot better than partial D1 soccer scholarships. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was a pretty easy sell for football and then was just fortunate enough that I got to the point where the NFL was a opportunity and signed as the Cardinals and it was amazing experience to go out to camp and compete with them. And it's it's just exciting because You know, you can be good in college, but it's, there's tons of college programs and everybody's got their studs. So you really don't know how good you are until you get to that next level. If you're fortunate enough, I mean, I know there's plenty of guys who wait for a call and never get it, but it's just, it's pretty amazing. Just the, you know, the level that those organizations function at and just being able to go in and, you know, see a guy like Larry Fitzgerald who (laughs) I've been watching growing up and, yeah, I have a locker next to him, Um, and then you know Kevin Cobb comes in and gets traded, and he played for Coach Browles at Houston. So just being able to, you know, shoot the breeze with him and talk about different Brownsisms and stuff. Yeah, i yeah. watched him play with the Eagles and everything before he came over to Arizona. It's just it's awesome. It's uh it's intense. It's competitive. I mean, you have to be on your A game. Other positions, there's there's more spots. But there's also a lot more people versus as a specialist. You either make the spot or you don't. So uh, it was it was an awesome experience. But yeah, it's uh, kudos to those guys out there that are grinding through it right now, and you know hopefully they get a chance to. If they don't make the 53, get an invitation to play on the practice squad because there's few other industries or professions where you can go in and make that amount of money as quickly as you can the way they cut those game checks week to week and I think my rookie contract was if I'd played the full 16 seasons was something like 335k just for <laughs> right a year, then going up for the next four so it's just it's pretty ridiculous if you're lucky enough to get to that level and then good enough to make it um, it's awesome but it's a grind and a lot of guys, you'll figure out pretty quickly. If you don't know, then a veteran could tell you, but you'll know whether or not you were sort of just brought in as camp legs or if you're actually getting a getting a look at making the 53. I mean, if you come in undrafted or a low-round guy, all bets are off because you need to either blow away some veteran or pick the spot of somebody they drafted higher than you because there's really not – as many positions open going into camp as people like to think, just because coaches and front offices have a different comfort level with veterans who have been there, done that, know that they can handle their business and they're not going to have to worry about them getting into trouble outside of the football facility. But it's, you know, it's an exciting opportunity. Hardly ever, of all, I don't know, I'm sure there's statistics out there, but of all the kids that play PE football in high school and even division one, the, the small amount that sign a contract and then the small amount that make the 53 and end up playing and having a career is just, you know, minuscule, I think, hundredths of the percentage point or something like that. So just for anyone to get to that point where they're in a camp, it's great. And uh, I I enjoyed my time. I actually I actually left preseason early and went back to school because I, at that point in my career, you know, football was cool and everything. And, But it was never a goal or a dream of mine, and I always wanted to get my master's. And at that point, since I never shirted Baylor was still paying for it. So I actually told the head coach and the GM on the flight back from Green Bay that I was going back to school because it was starting the next week, and I wanted to get my my master's education paid for. So um, That is...
4: That's hilarious. I did not know that that's how that went. How did they take that?
3: Does that happen often? Uh, no, I don't think that happens. Hardly at all, but... I wouldn't think so. Yeah, I mean, it was just one of those things where I knew that I wanted to go back to school and just be able to sort of enjoy life as a as a normal student and, you know, getting 60K worth of education guaranteed is, is a home run. I mean, I... Be having been out in the workforce now and seeing people paying off student debts and that thing, that sort of stuff. It's just, I'm super lucky, my family's super lucky that we, we all got sports to pay for me and my brother and sister's education. So, um, yeah, they were just kind of flabbergasted a little bit. They just kind of like, okay, are you sure? Like, is there nothing else? And then uh, the special teams coach at the time, he actually tried to. Wanted me to come back out that spring and re-sign me and then he moved on to the Chargers and wanted to wanted to know if I was interested out there like another year later and I was like, <laughs> I was like No, but um I was working for Delhi Investments at the time. I was like, But if you need an investment advice, in like I can Oh my gosh. that.
0: <laughs>
3: That's incredible.
4: What is something about specialist kickers, There's
0: punters, long snappers? What is something that people don't know about your job and what you do? Ooh.
3: I think most people probably don't realize off the top just the amount of detail and time that goes into it as far as perfecting your craft. There's nobody that just rolls out of bed and is naturally a good kicker, punter, deep snapper. You know, none of them are very, I guess, natural movements. You sort of, there's a lot of muscle memory. Um, You know, a lot of, the closest thing I equate it to is golf because you're not always going to have your best swing. You're not always going to be able to crush it, but the whole, it's all about minimizing those, you know, those hooks or pulls or shanks. You just want to be consistently good, get it down the middle of the fairway, you know, get, get a good punt that your team can cover hit it mostly down the middle but not to not to where you're missing badly either way and um there is a certain amount of leg strength that's required and figure out pretty quickly if somebody's got a division one leg. Sure. But after that it's all about refining technique and a lot of a lot of mental fortitude because you're not called upon often but when you do it can often make it has a quite quite an impact on the game and so just you have to be pretty mentally tough because if you screw up, it, <laughs> it hurts the team. But at the same info to the coin, it's like a quarterback when he throws an interception. You just, you have to sort of learn and understand what you did wrong, but you have to forget it as quickly as possible because otherwise you can just start, you know, eating yourself from the inside out and not perform for the rest of the game, which just adds insult to injury. So it's just the, There's a lot of finer details that go into it, and there's a lot of people who preach certain ways and techniques and camps and coaches out there that they want you to do it their way or they claim this works, but it's just everybody's different. Everyone's got their strengths and weaknesses. So, And, guys, I've worked in the past. I'm not preaching any certain sort of technique or this or that. You figure out what works best for them, What what makes them successful and gives them the best shot to play, whatever level they're at. Um, But, yeah, it's just, you know, guys will come out there, like in college, some freshmen would, without fail, walk in and be like, man, I can kick a punt, you know, some position player, and then they try to do it and see how awful they are at it. And then, like, how do you get to go so high? How do you get to stay up there for so long? And just sort of explain it to them and uh, just sort of that foot-hot of that foot-eye coordination isn't normal and unless you have a stronger background. I mean, most guys grow up playing baseball, basketball, football, that sort of stuff. So it's just it's all of a sudden trying to get them to kick a ball, even if it's stationary, can make, you know, a Robert Griffin or Josh Corden look a little uncoordinated or unathletic. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. Speaking of those guys, tell us, talk a little bit about your career at Baylor. Um
4: on the football field. What was that like for you? What was the experience?
0: When you look back on it now, several years later, you know, you were very successful.
4: Um, Ray Guy Award, semifinalist, all Big 12, multiple times.
0: What, When you look back at your
4: career, just reflect on that. Reflect on your career at Baylor.
3: Sure. So, I honestly came in, didn't know a whole lot about college football or football in general. I think I watched i committed to Baylor my entire senior year um, before I started and um, my senior year of high school. And I think I watched one Baylor game that entire 06 season before I even got there. So I didn't really – I knew some of the other guys in the signing class for my official visit, but I was totally green, didn't really know what to expect. Just got there early for summer, started class, and started workouts. Uh, and really – Trial by Fire. I had a new special teams coach, who was different from the guy that recruited me. So that was not really what I expected when I was showing up there. But um, you know, it was it was tough freshman year. We were we were awful. <laughs> uh, we went three and zero in non conference, and then I think lost by like an average of thirty five points or something. The rest of the season went zero and nine conference, and were never even in a game. Um, you know, that was back when Kansas went to the Orange Bowl, so they shellacked us pretty good, which, um isn't the case with them anymore. But it was, uh, it was tough that first year, because there was a lot of us that got to play as true freshmen, because we weren't a very talented team, top to bottom. And just the leadership wasn't there, as far as our position coaches were concerned. I loved Guy Morris. So I really wanted to play for him. He was a great guy, but I don't, I don't think anybody who played for some of those coaches in that 07 season would disagree that it was far from an ideal situation, especially once we saw the way a program could be run and the, you know, positive impact coaches could have once coach Brown and his staff came in that December or January. But it was just a, It was trial by fire, freshman year, just the whole, you know, being three months out of high school, getting used to going to class, trying to, you know, make study hall, budget time, do homework after practice between classes, and then also, oh, you're traveling on Thursdays or Fridays and have walkthroughs, and how many textbooks can you bring with you to the hotel for a night game before your travel bag's too heavy kind of thing, and it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good growing experience. I, I definitely fall of my freshman year. All I thought about was where I was transferring to. Uh, it was not a, not a good environment and I didn't like it to say the least, but, um, once, you know, once the new staff came in and we saw what they were all about and really bought in, we saw the progress that we could make. And then, you know, once Coach Brown's recruit started, up on campus with like Kendall and Robert the next year you sort of saw that Whoa we didn't have this talent level before but these new guys can play. And so I being new to college football just sort of opened my eyes to the recruiting world and sort of seeing a different level and breed and athlete starting to walk into our locker room, be a part of the team. It was a uh, it was pretty cool to see that grow. Um but you know it was It was a lot of fun. I can't complain. It was you know I loaded up on classes, so i I had some busy <laughs> some busy school nights because I knew I brought a lot of high school credits in and I knew that I could graduate in three years and start my master's, and that was something I always wanted to do um i you know going to the old Ford Casey and seeing the names on the banners. I'd always wanted to get my name up there with the other old Americans, obviously coming in after Sepulveda. I knew that there was a, a high standard, and then if you look back at just Baylor just over the years, you had the Outer Bay Brothers and some other very successful punters and kickers like Matt Bryant. Um, so it was just a sort of a storied uh, history and long line of success there, and so wanted to make all conference, wanted to get some sort of All-American honors, and that just that was sort of my athletic motivation and then academically you know, I was always a four student my whole career. Had you know, I got recruited by Harvard and Dartmouth and those sorts of schools that I had the ability to go to. Um it's kinda hard to pay that money once you start getting full offers yes. but <laughs> yes. uh, I mean, but I was in love with Dartmouth in high school and visited there but All of a sudden, Baylor offers a full scholarship, and that's kind of hard to turn down. But so just, you know, football is your main focus. That's sort of, you know, that's what they're cutting you a check each month to pay your rent and stuff. (laughs) You're there to perform on the field, but also academics has always been important to me. With my mom being in education and just always competing with my brother's sister as far as who got the best test grades and whatnot, so... Um, yeah, it was just, it was a grind, but you, you learned to love it. Um, you got to see your body transform over time. I'd never really lifted weights before <laughs> college. So to all of a sudden go in from gangly 200 pound, six, three guy. And then I ended up actually growing an inch in college. So all of a sudden I'm six, two fifty, And everyone thought I was either a linebacker or tight end, when they met me. That's awesome. It was, it was, uh, it was pretty cool just to see that transformation from hard work in the weight room and, um, yeah, just you know make great friends, friends for life, and those teammates. You know, you just you put in that you know the cliche blood, sweat, and tears, but it is true for the most part. You're just out there, you know, dying in the heat together in the summers, running in there, grinding in the weight room at six a.m. You know, three days a week while it's still black outside, um and, you know, don't know what this sleeping in thing is that your dorm mates and stuff talk about and getting out to go, go day drink in the afternoon or whatever. Like, what is that? <laughs> so it's, uh, it was, it was awesome. Just the entire experience. I mean, it's, it's tough. It's not for everyone. Um there's certainly guys that'll, that will kind of, They'll weed you out, but, um, you know, I, I love every second of it and made, you know, some of my best friends for life, um, within those four years. And, uh, yeah, couldn't have been more thankful to the coaches and the guidance and the positivity that they brought, um, especially in Coach Brow when his guys got there. Um, so it was, it was awesome. I mean, you do have to, put in put in the time and want to be successful and want to be able to take the coaching and respond and think positively but man it's it's awesome i wouldn't trade that experience for anything in the world
4: (laughs) you mentioned a guy i was already going to ask you about when you follow up a legend and i mean
3: a
0: legend right i mean in, in the world of college football punters i don't think you can
4: become more accomplished than what Daniel Sepulveda had done uh,
0: right before you got to Baylor. What's it like following in the footsteps of someone, someone
4: like that? And did he ever reach out to you or have, have, you, have you guys ever
0: had a conversation where he offered you anything in terms of following in,
4: in those footsteps?
3: Yeah. So whenever, whenever I got recruited, you know, of course he was one of the first people they took me to, to introduced me to and my first thought was, wow, this guy does not look like a <laughs> typical punter that you see on T V. He was just a massive human being. Um and so it was uh it was awesome just getting to talk to him and just how laid back he was just a very cool customer and just sort of that even keeledness that you strive for as a As a specialist, because you can never – it's – you don't really want to pay too much attention to the game, honestly, other than knowing, like, when you need to run out there, because it shouldn't matter what the situation or, you know, the time, the distance, the pressure, whatever. You just go out there and perform. Just muscle memory, knock it through, and if you can stay even-keeled and sort of take that pressure off you, it makes it that much easier, and he was just the epitome of that. He was – a cool customer ever since I met him when I was in high school and then, uh, that, that sort of drew me to Baylor honestly was, you know, not only the school's academic reputation and it only being an hour and a half from home, but also just the success that he had had. And I knew that obviously Baylor wasn't good when he was there, so I would <laughs> probably have an opportunity to punt early and often. <laughs> But, uh, just seeing that success just sort of made me, you know, sort of think, hey, I want that. I want to go in and be just as good as he was, you know, something, something to strive for. And so, you know, he, he always came back to train when he was with Pittsburgh and we would go out and punt together and it was just always good to have somebody to, you know, bounce stuff off of. Um, and, you know, I've seen him games down in the in the b room at the new stadium at mclean and he's just such a great friendly guy that you know it's always awesome just to be able to catch up with him and see how he's doing but yeah it was it was awesome i mean daniel's a superb guy I can't say enough good things about him and you know i just loved when he came back in the off season go strap it up and go bomb some together
4: <laughs> yeah do you still keep up with uh, uh, the ins and outs of Baylor football at all? And if so, I'd really like to know
0: kind of what your thoughts were last year, as as
4: we kind of saw them plummet back to the basement, uh, to that area where you talked
0: about earlier of just not being good, and
4: and what it takes to get back to winning ways. What what are some of your thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, so I've I've watched um from afar, I guess not as not as closely plugged in since Coach Browles and a lot of those guys I was close with aren't there anymore. But um it's always tough, you know, when you get a new coach and the just the amount of attrition that they had with people leaving and losing more or less an entire recruiting class. It's whenever you don't have depth, that just makes it tough and from everything I sort of read or watched they didn't have a lot of depth to begin with. We're playing a lot of young guys out of need, which was very similar to when I first got to Baylor. And then also they just got hit by the injury bug. So it was <laughs> anything, yeah. it's kind of a perfect storm. Anything that could go wrong did go wrong. And it just, it makes it tough. Um But there's always going to be, you know, sort of that initial building stage when a new coach comes in and has a little bit of a different system, a different style, you know, they run the program a little differently, wants you to behave a certain way, but maybe have different requirements or expectations. Um, there's just sort of an adjustment period for the players, a feeling out between the players and the staff and the strength staff about sort of what what's the expectations, what do you need to be on top of, what do you need to do. So there's always that initial growth period. Um, but, I think that towards the end of the season, especially once Brewer started playing, you saw some positive signs, some encouraging signs from them. Um, looks like the, from everything I read, it's a very complex defensive scheme. So just getting the layers of that involved and guys finally understanding and being able to just react instead of thinking. Uh, I think you saw there was some, some jumps made down the stretch. And so, um, yeah, it's it's always tough to go one eleven. I mean, we went three and nine my freshman year, and that was zero and nine in conference, getting shellacked. So I think those guys, it's it's a little bit discouraging, uh, especially for the young guys who most of the time come from successful high school backgrounds. It's it's kind of tough to uh, lose that much, but that's a good thing because you don't got want to you don't ever want your players to become comfortable with losing. Or learning how to lose. And so, um, for what I can tell, Coach Rule seems to be a great guy and has high standards. And so I think with, you know, increased depth this year, um, a healthier team from the standpoint of last year that hopefully, you know, we can get back to a bowl game or at least see some more positive strides. But the biggest thing was they were, they were in games last year, um, you know, against West Virginia, Oklahoma, some, some of the upper tier teams in the big 12. And so it's not like the talent or the scheme or that stuff isn't there. You know, my freshman year, it wasn't even close. (laughs) Nobody really wanted to play, to be honest, because we just weren't good and the coaching wasn't good and we weren't in any games, but those guys were in games. You've had, you've got older guys who were there when the, you know, when the program was successful. So they know what it takes to win, and it's just, you know, get, making sure that they're fully bought into the different systems that Coach Rule and his staff have brought into place. Just going out there and executing and having fun, not, not putting too much pressure on themselves, just going out there and, and competing and never never being complacent. And I think that, you know, Rule turned the program around temple from what I've read so I think that you know give him time and he can recruit well and start to build up that depth that we'll we'll see Baylor start to return to competing for Big 12 championships sooner rather than later but um, yeah hopefully a lot more than one win this year
0: Well Derek Dan- uh, you've been very generous with your time and I just want to say before you go that
4: Uh, as a guy who grew up in Waco who grew up playing
0: soccer who grew up way too undersized to be any good at football
4: you were always a hero of mine
0: and you know even as a junior high kid kid, coming to meet the Bears and having you sign a poster for me meant a lot so uh, from then to now this has been
4: a pleasure and I appreciate you coming on uh, the podcast very much so uh, you're welcome
0: back anytime
3: oh well awesome man I appreciate it and yeah. Uh meet the bears and meeting fans is always one of the highlights. So <laughs> I'm glad that I'm glad that I uh I was able to be a positive influence in your life.
0: <laughs> For sure, man. Well hey, thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
3: All right, appreciate it. Sticking Bears.
0: Thanks for listening. That's all I've got for this episode. I really hope you enjoyed the double feature that we put out there today. It was really fun. I want to thank both Derek Epperson and Elliot Coffey, who was on episode two, uh, for talking with me this past week. They were both fantastic, and I think we got a lot from those interviews, so I hope you enjoyed listening to them as well. Reminder that Friday night, 9.30, please bear with me. The show is premiering. I want you to tune in, and I want you to ask questions. I'm looking forward to talking to you then, and I'm really looking forward to Saturday when we take on Abilene Christian. That's it for me. I hope you and yours have a fantastic week. Sick'em Bears please bear with me is brought to you by bears illustrated over at baylor 247 thanks to my man tim watkins over there thanks to iron kids for all the music you heard on today's podcast go check them out iron kids on soundcloud i've been scotty swingler and this is please bear with me